Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, welcome back to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers here with my man, John Carlton. How are you doing, John? Pretty good. I see you have your full radio voice on today. I do, yes. Well, it's time to do record a podcast, so I must talk like this. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it's great to be back with you. And um, real quickly, if you're listening and you want to engage further, uh, the website, you'd never find it on your own. It's pi, the number four, mm.com because we live in a covert world. Uh, John, that was all. That was all my idea, by the way. So I take full responsibility for Wait, you, completely obscuring everything we're doing. Oh, you wanted it to be xt hashtag ampersand dot com, but that, was, <laughs> that, that but that was taken oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, it was a Russian hacker site. So uh, yeah, so. This is the world's most under undermarketed podcast, and I think most appreciated, partly for that reason. You got to be cool to know this exists. Uh, today, we're going to talk about legacy, and this is based on as many of our shows are. Uh, in fact, the inspiration for this podcast came from your Facebook posts, which are you know little condensed versions of what people love about your blog, the many years of rants you've been posting over there at uh, john-carlton.com. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, a treasure trove unto itself. Um, but this one you were talking about, and this really struck me interesting, uh, you know, about thinking about your autobiography, you know, which basically equates to legacy. And you were saying, John, that there's no one person who could, who's qualified to write yours, uh, because there's been sort of like, the series of Johns throughout your life and not one person has been there for the full ride. Yeah. That, that the, the, this all came from a question I've been asking people lately, just, just to kind of get a, a feel of, of how other people live their lives. And, and I asked them, is there anybody in your life that could write your biography and be reasonably uh, accurate about it? And for for I, I have a cousin, for example, that I mentioned in the post that married his childhood sweetheart, and they've known each other since they were like 14 years old. And of course, filling in the years before that was just natural because they're married and they're sharing families and things like that. So they actually, you know, each of them could write a very accurate biography of the other. Mm. Um, but I asked people if anybody could write your biography, and a lot of people don't in in the situation in the circles I run around in writers who have moved around a lot who have as I said in the piece there's a lot of different Johns out there 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 was me as a kid there was me in high school I changed a bit in college I wasn't doing this consciously it was just a new group of friends new adventures to go on new things to happen and like the people that knew me really well in high school didn't go off to college with me so they didn't know what happened now if I spent a lot of time with them afterwards and told them then maybe they would they would have an idea about it, but they they wouldn't have they wouldn't be able to write that bi- biography. They if they wrote a, an epitaph for me uh, or an obituary, mm-hmm. you know, they would have to leave out big chunks of it. You know, right. I knew John back in high school; he was a great guy. Blah blah. blah. Then he disappeared for forty years, and then he died, and here I am writing this. You know, uh, so it's it's just interesting that some people actually have those people in their lives that could do it, and some don't. And this got me thinking about, as I've been thinking for a long time, about legacy. Mm-hmm. And as writers, we are always tempted to write our own autobiography, whether or not we're worthy of one or not. And I think, you know, you have to let other people decide on that. For me, just to get this out of the way, the reason I've been thinking about an autobiography is not to put it on Amazon, sell it, although maybe after I'm gone or maybe at some point I will. But for me, it's about my grandnieces and grandnephews and the and really the, the legacy that of the family because 
all of the people in my family who kept the oral history alive are gone now. Mm. And the subsequent generations are not very good about carrying that on. Uh, there are less big family gatherings where those stories are told. There's less interaction between the generations. All of the stuff is going on. So I thought, you know, I'll just give an oral history as I know it. It may be inaccurate. In fact, I had an idea of doing it and then giving it to my sister for rebuttal. Mm. So after each yeah. chapter, she could say, that's not true, you know, Johnny. Because I was the youngest, and obviously I was, uh, you know, I had a different view of the whole thing. But th this all got me going. I think everybody ha has a story. We, we talked about this, I think, last time. You know, it's the idea of, <clears throat> you know, do you have a story or not? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, it's, it's like if 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 you're living this life, and you've gotten to a point where you're an adult, so you're listening to this podcast, for example, and you don't think you're worthy of a biography or or of writing your own autobiography, then you know, shame on you. You know, you've been handed this life in this modern world with all the adventures and all the wondrous and awful and terrific and gruesome things happening around us. And if you don't, if you haven't lived your life as an adventure, then what are you doing? You know, it's, it's, it, it, I, 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 I want to, especially writers, I want to kick them in the ass. I'm like, just stop whining and start living, you know? It, it, and, and a lot of this has to do with not recognizing the stories that are happening to you. It was like my father's generation was the silent generation. He never told me about his adventures in World War II until late in life. And one day he says, uh, well, you know, I did that, you know, in, in Belgium when I was in the infantry. I said, you never told me. He says, I never told you those stories. So he wasn't like actively doing it. It's just he, when he got home, he put World War II behind him, got himself a house, wanted to raise his family and never have another adventure like that the rest of his life. Mm. He wanted to bowl every Friday and play cards with with his uh, pals on, on Saturday and, you know, mow the lawn on Sunday and go back to work on Monday and have it be calm and predictable. And he still had adventures through his life. He was a world traveler and things like that. But when he finally told me the story, it was great. And it was, you know, I took notes and I'll, I'll probably write a little, little thing on him as part of this kind of oral history of the family that I want the, the younger kids to have. Mm -hmm. There goes John's landline. Uh, drinking time for those of you. Uh, That's right. If you're keeping score yeah, at home and John's landline rings, it's time to do a shot, preferably <laughs> of tequila. <laughs> okay, so I, I've been babbling. I, I kind of got off the thing, but you know, we're, I, I was trying to lay the groundwork for um, for for legacy for for the whole idea of you know living a good life is is all well and good, but having a legacy just kicks it up a notch. Yeah. Uh, Force, you know, you and I were going back through finding pictures of our cars, you know, for, for this podcast, which we'll get to in a bit. And you can't do that without going through a lot of your old photos and stuff. And, you know, it's like when you go through that, it's like what happens when you look at the old photos or you or you think about old times or, you know, those fond memories. Are they just hazy memories of, oh, yeah, that was a great girlfriend I had. Or are they specific things? You know, are they I remember date number one and number 30. And I remember the time her parents got us and the living room on the couch and I remember and all this stuff can go now we sometimes stop that as we're older because I don't have time for remembering all this stuff I think that's nonsense I think a life well lived is a life worth reminiscing about that's a great that's a great point and you know I tell you I have this funny thing where I don't know if it's the performer in me or what but I feel I don't want to call it a pressure but almost like a, a, a macabre uh, eagerness <laughs> to give uh obituary to give eulogies <laughs> oh. I, I fantasize about giving eulogies of people that i love and care about uh which is maybe maybe strange uh but, no i think that's a it is strange yes but it's a great idea yeah so. it's not like I'm, I'm eager for it to happen soon it's just that i i picture myself <laughs> and i think can't wait for you to die honey i have the best <laughs> elegy for you Oh, I got some notes on you. Yeah. But yeah, it, it gets me thinking about the, there are people in my life who are just, yeah, they're towards the end of their run. And uh, I would love if there were some kind of appropriate way to uh, 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 confront them on the idea that they should, they should record their legacy. Even just, you know, a, a two hour interview. Uh, like you said, with the right questions being asked, uh, I mean, how valuable would that be to have? And I can't imagine certain people, uh, for the life of me, how I would bring that up without it feeling weird or offensive. 
uh, you know. Well, you can. I actually did that with my dad starting about, excuse me, starting about 10 years ago. And we, we were Skyping at the time. We'd Skype once a week while, while he was alive and uh, talk on the phone also. It's just we're, we're getting along fabulously. And I just started grilling him about his youth, you know, uh, and asking him questions. And I, I found some photos and, and asked him to explain the people in the photo. So we would use photos or a single memory as a jumping off point. Mm. And, and as, as I, I, I'm not sure if I described it in the, uh, in the Facebook post or not, but um, you know, it's, 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 it's a concept of, of going deeper on things. A lot of people, when they think about their life stories, they'll, they'll give little tiny, almost non-anecdotes uh, and, and uh, uh, platitudes. They'll say, oh, I had a great time in high school. And if you just take that as surface value, you're not going to learn anything else. However, if you're a good interviewer, and a good interview of other people becomes a good interviewer of themselves, too, when they're doing their autobiography stuff. Why? Why was it a good time? Well, it's just, you know, there were a lot of people I was hanging out with. Well, you know, so you could get a dozen people having the same answer to that question. What was high school like for you? And they say, I had a lot of fun. And they might all say I had a lot of fun. On the next level, when you go down to why did you have a lot of fun, then it just skews off in, in, a, in a dozen different directions, maybe more. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in band and, you know, unlike a lot of the guys on the football team, I was getting laid on the band bus going out to, uh, you know, the Rose Bowl. And actually, I knew a guy like that. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, it, and it's it's like there goes my fax line now. <laughs> my, wow, there's going to be some drunk listeners this week. <laughs> Yeah, my medieval office. Yeah, you guys, okay, another shot. So um, what was I saying? So, so yeah, just, just you know, say, why, why did you? And have them say, oh, well, you know, I was, you know, whatever. And then you say, well, what was so fun about that? And you say, well, why? And you uh, just was simple, who, what, where, why, when, and how type of questions. You can take people off on a road where when you're getting to the third and fourth level of answering that question, you're you're talking novel territory in many ways. Yeah, I'll so. I'll tell you something great I heard recently. Do you know who Cal Fussman is? No, I don't. Uh, he's known as one of the greatest interviewers. You may know his piece in Esquire for like twenty years. He's had a column called "What I Learned," and when you read the interviews, it's just quotes from the subject. He's not anywhere in it. He doesn't set up the scene. You just reading a page or sometimes even a quarter page of quotes and you get this amazing sense of this person just from quotes uh, from the interview. Right. And uh-huh. uh, he was talking about uh, uh, he said the way uh, he told this great story about he was going to interview Mikhail Gorbachev and he he said he needs an hour and a half to do a, an, a, a, an appropriate interview. To, to get huh. what he needs and he shows up to to interview Gorbachev and the his assistant says uh unfortunately you're not going to have a full hour and a half and he's thinking all right well maybe I'll get an hour I guess I could do it in that time he goes how much do I get she says 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and uh do good stuff, yeah. and he goes oh god well you know I might as well tr- do something and so he asked him the first question he says uh what's the most important lesson you learned from your father and all of a sudden gorbachev is just taken aback and he he, he sort of looks stunned and he kind of looks up and he's clearly going through his mental role and he wants to answer this question correctly right there's mm-hmm. no bad answer for this right and so the funny thing is he, he starts to tell the story uh 10 minutes later uh, the, the, the assistant comes in and says, okay, uh, time to end the interview. Gorbachev holds up his hand to her and he says, no, I want, <laughs> I want to talk to him. <laughs> and because he wasn't even done telling the story yet, right? Isn't so this, this, this went on three or four more times. And then finally the woman comes in in a sweat and they, they have to end the thing. But what, what he said the takeaway is, he said, "There are nuclear missiles headed for us." <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, okay, okay, right, so. right. yeah, he got everything out of him. Yeah, uh, he's wearing nipple clamps by the time he uh, she came back in. But <laughs> but um, he said this. Uh, he said the way to, to to get a great interview. He said you have to start with the heart. He said then you move to the head, and once you have the heart and the head, then you have a pathway to the soul. And I thought, man, that's brilliant, right? Because any time in, in life that you're bored with a conversation, 
if you get out of the head and go for the heart instead and ask an intimate question, then suddenly you see the person come alive and the whole conversation changes dynamic. And uh, anyway, I think that that's brilliant. And, and then I love your, your uh, idea. And I think you got this from another writer. I want to make sure we give credit. But Steve Manning, yeah. I think you said. Right. Um, and th this idea of uh, looking at a, 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 your personal timeline through objects or th yeah. through things you owned and, uh, you know, couches you've slept on. John, you said you could write your whole, you know, adult history <laughs> or at least a big chapter of it. Yeah. Because you live, you, you're homeless, essentially living on couches, uh, bands you were in uh, and then cars you've owned. And so yeah. that's kind of what led us to this idea of, well, let's each tell a car story. Yeah. Let me let me expand on that. It's, yeah. it's iconic. You want to go after the iconic moments. And uh, I don't know if I'll give the correct example of iconic, but these are the the towering moments in your life. So when when you're talking to somebody like, you know, like like the Gorbachev interview, what, what did you learn from your father? That's a that's a towering moment in his life. I, I don't know what the answer was, but I can imagine it was it was profound and life changing. And if if all you do is go back to your life and you think, well, what were the high points and the low points of childhood? What were the high points and low points of being a teenager? High points, low points of, you know, my 20s. You know, you, you can get a a pretty good idea of. Of, of a person from that. It'd be rather short, though, unless you went off on the 10 best moments of my life, the 10 worst moments of my life. And then what Steve Manning did, and he wrote a book, I think, called How to Write a Book on Anything in 14 Days or Less, something like that. It was the model I used to write Kick-Ass Copyright Secrets of a Marketing Rebel, my first book, mm -hmm. uh, which became a course. Anyway, the, the thing thing is, is by going with iconic um, things or, or 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 people in your life, you can do a whole book to, by by choosing inanimate objects or people or things that you wouldn't ever expect to find in an autobiography. Most people start off with, you know, I was born in a log cabin on a snowy night in the middle of. Uh, of, uh, you know, uh, 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 Moscow, you know, and, and, you know, and it just starts off boring and gets worse after that. And they try to do these, 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 um, uh, timelines, you know, well, I got to start with when I'm young, you know, I remember, right. you know, my mom breastfed me, you know, and, and we'll move on. We'll get to high school about a hundred pages down the road, you know, where the real good stuff just hang with me. You know, no, people won't hang with you. If you use objects, you can get to, it's, it's the story. So for me, I, you know, talking about couches is great. Cause that's, that was one, the only example really I remembered from Steve Manning, but it was just, I've done this with other people. I said, what, you know, what, what, what kind of personal stories can you tell me about couches? And people usually look pretty blank. And then you can see their minds starting to work. And suddenly, if you'll stick around, they've got stories to tell about couches. Like, I re, you know, for me, I remember the couch I was sleeping on. It was a friend's, friend of a friend's house. Uh, down San Diego, I was living out of my car. I was homeless. I'd lost my uh, my girlfriend, my place to live, and my job all at the same time. And I was just roaming around, wondering what my next step was going to be. And it was on that couch, that bumpy, lumpy couch in this you know second-rate house in the middle of of, of uh, San Diego, that I had the epiphany that within a year became my new career as a freelance writer. I realized nothing was going to change my life. If anything was going to change, it was going to be up to me. There was going to be no white knight coming to save me. And I needed to get, get on my horse. Right after that, the universe delivered Think and Grow Rich into my hands. It actually fell off a shelf book. It fell off a bookshelf. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of magical stuff started happening. So I can talk about that couch. I can talk about a lot of other couches in my life. And through by saying, you know, there was, you know, I'm not describing the couch. It doesn't matter what the yeah. couch is. But right. what the couch represented right. was my state there. I was sleeping on a couch because I didn't have a place of my own. Um, you know, I was making out with a girl in my parents on my parents couch because I didn't have a place of my own. I really didn't know what I was doing. And it was all risky and all this stuff. You know, these things are going on. Now, it might not be a long chapter on couches, but it got me to thinking about what are the iconic things in your life? Now, some people can take this idea of taking chunks 
and like high school and say, I'll write about high school first because that, that kind of defined who I am or is a big part of defining who I am or college, whatever. The good thing about doing this is you don't have to go in chronological order either. You can start to describe things. It's like, how, how did you get there? So a chapter can be from the middle of your life to begin your potential autobiography if you ever read it. Because you're, you're describing who you are, and you can go back to childhood if you need to. But if you don't need to, it can be a detail as part of describing couches. You know, part of the couch thing could be the couch you grew up with. You know, how, how strange it was to have all the men sleeping on the couch during Thanksgiving mm-hmm. while the women were busy in the kitchen, that kind of thing. It was a fond memory for me, for example. Yeah. Anyway, but like not high school, but be specific, but algebra class. Or for me, the October backwards dance. You know, I can start talking about the October backwards dance. You know, who invited you? Know, the girl that invited me, the drama and Sturm and Drang and the comedy and the tragedy that came from all of that. And I had, it was, you know, one of the worst dates of my life, but God, it was wonderful anyway. And all this stuff happened. And to explain that, I got to explain how, she, you know, how she decided I was the one she was going to ask, what group of friends she had, what my friends, who else went, why we had these dances, where I was in high school. It happened to be my sophomore year. All that stuff starts to branch out. So to tell the story, you, you start to branch out and flesh things out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it, 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 you, you could do high school and then have the best, worst and the happy bummer moments, you know, kind of juxtapose, you know, the the highest points and the lowest points, because th- those are where the most of the stories are. You know, my, you know, you may have had a great time on the football team, but what was the worst time that you had on the football team? And, you know, right. what was the best? Yeah. Time? That's the thing. You know, it reminds me, uh, Amy Schumer's book just came out. Uh, oh, yeah. The girl with the girl with the lower back tattoo. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> she's hilarious. And so I was uh, I read on uh, the, you know, basically the four words, the note, a note to my readers. And uh, it was brilliant. And she told the story of the one one night stand she's ever had in her life. And it was it, I found it extra compelling because, uh, as she said, you might be surprised to find out I've only had one because if you only knew me from my comedy, you'd think my yeah. vagina was on a revolving door, you know. <laughs> and, and, it's true. Right. And so already you're a little fascinated to find out, oh, it's not what I think. And then she describes the whole the whole thing in just hilarious detail. And, and that was it for me because when you talk about uh, – sleeping on a couch and being homeless at the time i remember a brief time where i was couch surfing and 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 literally had no physical address of my own right i think Uh of uh when i read amy schumer's story i think of uh a one night stand i I had and and that's the other thing i love about taking a specific situation like you said it could be you know that dance you're talking about anybody's going to think of the dance i'm thinking about prom like i never thought never wanted to go to prom i I was already i had dropped out of high school when i went to my girlfriend's prom with her and i just felt so out of place and weird and it was like that was probably the first time i really realized man i just don't fit in to the Uh to the structure world you know and so uh, anyway, great, great point about taking specific moments. And this goes back to what you said about people might think they don't have a story or their, their, their life isn't autobiographical, you know, worthy. But if they start to think about questions in this context, then I bet they quickly decide otherwise. Yeah. And, and again, it just saves you from the boring, you know, I was born, you know, in a farm, you know, on a farm in the middle of Iowa in 1956 or whatever. It's just, it's just you don't need to be that boring. Talk about farms. You know, don't don't talk about, you know, this, you can talk, you can get to the circumstances of your birth. Like, for example, I was born at 444 p.m. on a Saturday um, down in, in Pomona General Hospital. And w- what's interesting to me about that is 444 seemed like a significant number. I was a Saturday's child. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was a month late. I was a 10-month-old, you know, uh, uh, 10, 10 months in, in the womb. Yeah, and that explained my personality. You know, I like dark places, and I'm always late. <laughs> um, 
but but the 444 i always thought there was something magical about 444 is uh, if you listen to blues music it's a uh, it's an iconic number in in, bl in bl blues music um they reference you know i i, I got you know I, I i play the numbers 444 you know a lot of them uh, that that's been used several times i don't know why it comes out of louisiana for something maybe somebody knows what the significance is but you know it wasn't you know it didn't necessarily bode that you know anything special i was going to be like achilles you know being born or moses floating down down the river but it was just you know i you know by talking about that i can talk about the weirdness of of my birth and and the you know the beginning of the strangeness of my of my very unique childhood and things like that so yeah so so as jumping off points these iconic things so let's we we decided that cars was a good one but it, cars is is a good example of something that isn't very specific but becomes specific very quickly so you don't say cars so you don't talk about the car you always wanted but never got right. i mean that can be a side thing so i always i always envision myself in a jaguar X, xke right. never had one but what i did own and then you get into the cars you own so if all you did was a chapter of the cars you owned mm. um you got stories there because the cars especially in in the lives that um that you know i was on i was in california on the west coast you traveled across the country as part of your job the car becomes an extension of you the, the car you know for me was a traveling apartment Look, me living out of my car was a lot less traumatic than it would have been for other people who had never considered their cars anything other than transportation to and from a job or whatever for Absolutely. me though it always it always held it always held magical elements. For me, it was escape. For me, it was, you know, I, I just wrote to my old uh, high school buddy. I was thinking about it. We used to, you know, when we got our licenses together in the, you know, in high school, our favorite thing to do is just hop in the car and cruise, take off in a direction. I mean, we didn't know where we were going. It was just being, you know, with the window down. It's just being alive and young and in a car and mobile and all of the adventures <clears throat> that could happen. You know, most of the time, not not much happened. We drive around, maybe we'd stop at a friend's house, maybe we we just drive around and find things. <clears throat> but a lot of times, things did happen, and a lot of those things were very, very turned out to be very iconic in in the rest of my life. Yeah. So I I I, I just to give you credit. I thought it was a great idea. You said, hey, let's not talk general for the whole hour. Let's you know talk about our cars. You know, give give a good example. So we went back, and you found a picture of you and your car, yeah. and I found a couple of pictures of me and my car. So why don't you jump in man all right cool so mine is a uh a 1984 oldsmobile delta 88 <laughs> <laughs> and significant to me because it was my first proper road car when i was a comic when i first got into comedy i was driving a 74 chevy nova with you know uh giant <laughs> tires in the back the chrome wheels it, it my brother-in-law dropped a corvette engine into it and it had a four barrel carburetor so no. was, yeah yeah so I, my first gig to like, savannah georgia i was getting like you know six miles to the gallon you know it was, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and then I had this big idea uh, to uh, – I had accidentally built up some enough credit to buy a car, and I bought a truck of all things, a small truck, a Chevy S10, worst road car imaginable. Uh, the only good thing about it was – was the ability to pick up hitchhikers without having to smell them for six yeah, hours. Put them you know? in the back, right? Yeah. And so but so then uh I got this my buddy Lou, who's the the, the ultimate car guy, the the greatest gearhead in my life, uh hooked me up with this eighty four uh, Delta eighty eight and man I just fell in love with this car. It was it, I just want after being in that truck stuck in this tiny little truck uh bed uh, or, or cab uh, i just wanted room right yeah so it's a big four-door you know uh it's a living room on wheels yeah, yeah 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 just you just kick that seat back and you put your hand in your crotch and you just roll you know <laughs> and, and i and my, i used to love when uh I'd have three other passengers because whenever we pulled over and all got out and slammed the doors at the same time, we sounded like gangsters like <laughs> showing up to collect, you know, it's just awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and so the funny thing was my, my buddy Lou tells me, he goes, hey, hey kid, and, and the greatest thing about this car, you're invisible to cops. Right. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, that, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you know, it looks like an old people car. Well, turns out this is, also one of the preferred cars 
of, uh, of, of drug traffickers in the South uh, for the same reason that they thought, oh, I'll be invisible to cops. And also, I learned from one of them that you could stuff like 80 kilos of Coke behind the metal bumper of one of these things and, and have it go basically undetected. Uh, of course, unless like, you rear-ended somebody and it looked like a fucking snowstorm under your car or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, as a result... Like any cop who saw, and I get hair down on my ass at the time, you know. So any cop who actually saw me uh, in in that car, I was getting pulled over. I mean, I had, <laughs> I had so so many German shepherds like roam my trunk in my back seat, sniffing for drugs. I like knew them by name after a few years. Hey Rex, hey boy, you know, and. Uh, it, so it's just hilarious that I would get her or they would pull me over because I had dark tinted windows to try to counter this. And they would say, hey, uh, I need to test your <laughs> I need to test your window tint to make sure it's in the legal limit. And, you know, by the way, you don't have any drugs on board, do you? You know, and so, uh, yeah, it was hilarious um, to to experience that and just basically get, that was my one encounter with like police harassment was that car. And uh, and then ultimately, I, I thought, man, I love that car. I thought I would drive it forever. And then I was living in Melrose Park, Illinois, with two other guys who had long hair and were in a band. It looked like the friggin' Allman Brothers moved in in the middle of this old Italian neighborhood. And, uh, you know, it was a small neighborhood. And the cops there let it be known that we were known, right? You know, they would drive by slow or if we had the music up too loud at night they, they'd always knock on the door and uh and, and then one morning i woke up walked out and car wasn't there <laughs> and i was not hung over enough to not know where it was and uh i went down to the police station to report it stolen and it just had this weird sense like they knew several hours before i did that it had been stolen <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know just like almost like as an afterthought had me fill out a police report you know and uh that was it man car was gone and i remember a couple weeks later i, I got a call from someone at the at the police saying they'd found the car and i was thrilled i was like oh that's the greatest news ever <clears throat> fantastic and she goes well before you get too excited, uh, <laughs> let me read you the condition of the car. <laughs> and she, literally, she's like, uh, uh, tires uh, removed, uh, you know, not, not found, you know, uh, windshield. It was it had been stripped down to like the core, you know. And I said, what, what do I do now? And she said, well, you can either come you know, pick it up and have, have the remains towed. You know, it's like, what do you do with this dead body that, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, or you can, you know, um, leave it and, and pay a storage fee to the, to the junkyard. And I called the junkyard. I said, I'll tell you what, sell what's there and let's call it even. And they were like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> so that was the end of the Delta 88. Oh man. Was that, was that uh, the, um, uh, you know, Rocket 88 is the original rock mm -hmm. song back in... Yeah, uh, I think it's about, I don't know what year of car that would have been. Yeah. It was the like 40s, the 40s, 40s model. Or 50s or something. That's Oldsmobile, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's, you know, there's even more to that car. So that's it's an iconic American classic. That's a great story. And you know what? That was a, that was a harrowing, rollicking story, and it only took you a couple of minutes to tell it. Yeah. Have, have you told that story before or was uh, this the first time? Actually, first time. Yeah, first time I really talked about the car in the context. I, I did sit for 20 minutes and write out, okay, let me think of the history of this car, the condensed yeah. history, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I've, I just got a few notes on mine. So so mine, just to launch, launch in to, to keep this thing going, yeah. um, I bought a uh, 1980 Celica GT five-speed liftback. In 1981, a guy had had it on lease for a year, so it was uh, technically a used car, but it was as close to a new car as I'd ever had. And I'd been looking quite a bit with my girlfriend. We we're looking at a lot of different cars at the time. And um, I remember when I saw it, I go, wow, because it was the ugliest car I'd ever seen in my life. And my girlfriend went, ugh, you know, <laughs> and 
and but for me it was love at first sight it's like it's like an ugly dog it's like and and what really sealed it for me was i got into the car and i sat down in the cockpit and it just i just felt like i was home i the, it was like a twilight zone it was like the car welcomed me in hmm. And I remember when I bought it, the first night I bought it, I picked it up. I was alone. I didn't pick up my girlfriend or anything. I decided I, I lived in, I was living in uh, Palo Alto at the time. So I went over the mountains and, you know, went, drove down the coast to, towards Santa Cruz and then drove back up the coast towards San, San Francisco on this five speed. And what really got me was the glowing, in, you know, in, uh, 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 instruments on the dashboard. It was it really was like the cockpit of my own personal little spaceship. It was as close to the flying cars I ever got just zooming down. And that that sucker was fast. And um, it was again, it was an ugly car. Nobody's going to steal that thing. And it, it was, you know, but it, it had all it, it was uh, tricked out. So it had all the bells and whistles that Toyota could put into a car at the time in 1980. And it had wire spoke wheels. I think in the picture you can see this. Yeah. And it was just, you know, fancier than, than I'd ever wanted. And I immediately took it out and it just started getting banged up as I had it. I had it for about 10 years. Almost every car I've ever owned. And I've owned about, I don't know, less than a dozen, but I've owned quite a few. The last time I turned those cars off was the last time they ever ran. So I literally ran all of my cars to to the graveyard, right. much as much as you almost did, although someone helped you with one. Yeah. But in this car, I, I remember, um, you know, I, I, it was the car I, w I was living in. So... Um, <clears throat> After I'd lost my girlfriend, the same one that went, ew, maybe the car was part of her leaving me. I don't know. <laughs> and lost my place to live and my job. <clears throat> I was living in this car. Now it was a lift back and you could sleep in the back, but the sun would come through the window and it, it could get pretty hot. But it, it was, it was, you know, at night I, I could stretch out in the back. I, I never put the back seats up. Um, I, I kept it, you know, as, as it was a little bit like a tiny van in a way. Yeah. And I just drove this thing around like crazy, and it started to get beat up in during that trip. And that I'm driving up way in Northern California, headed for Oregon, and uh, a truck ahead of me had a bunch of uh, long two by fours on it. And I'm riding along, the wind blows. One of these two by fours flies up in the air, goes out of sight. And I'm thinking, my to my old physics class, I go, I hope that's not going to hit me. And right as I thought that, bang, it hit about an inch above the front windshield. If it had been Whoa. two inches lower, it would have come through the windshield and impaled me in that wow. car. As it was, it just bounced off and it left a dent. The, the kid was horrified who was driving. He pulled over and I actually got money for it. I never fixed the dent, but but I kept it there. Later on that same summer, my friend Art and I were going out to Vegas. We, we had a drink and we thought, well, we're pretty bored. It was like Friday night and we didn't have much money. We thought, wait, if we pull our money, we could actually go to Vegas and uh, put it all on black and double our money like right away. We thought that was just an excellent idea. So we hopped in my car, we drove out to Vegas, and the, we started losing radio signals. And it was just crackling. We're trying to <clears throat> trying to listen to the radio. Maybe it was a ball game. I don't know. And we're in the middle of the, the uh, desert. And Art just loses it. He goes, ah, and he hits the, hits the dashboard above the radio and cracks the entire dashboard. Yeah. And he says, oh, geez, I hope we went enough for me to pay, pay for your dashboard. <laughs> I never fixed that. And then uh, many years later, I was taking this uh, other girlfriend I had to the uh, to the airport for our last <clears throat> our last goodbye. Just a minute, I have to drink some water. <clears throat> Apologize. <clears throat> so I'm in L.A. traffic trying to get her to the airport. She, of course, forgot to buy her get her tickets and there was this big rush and stuff uh through the and we're at, we're in rush hour and i'm trying to get to this place where she's going to pick up her tickets as a travel agency then i gotta take her down to lax it, it, it's just it's it's just crammed with cars i'm in a bad part of town uh, near usc uh near south central in fact i get rear-ended and and so I get out and I talk to the guy and, and the guy stops and he doesn't have a license. And he doesn't have a phone, I mean, a phone number to give me. He doesn't have insurance. And uh, the other there's a guy with him who's like, um, you know, tell him, come on, we should split. And I, I think, yeah, you should split. Why did you pull over? You don't, you can't get anything. You're essentially doing hit and run. Sheriff comes by, just waves at me as he goes by because he ain't going to stop for it. So the guy gives me, what? Too much paperwork. Yeah. 
So, so the guy finally gives me a number, which turns out to be the USC, you know, um, uh, ER. <clears throat> I don't know why he had that on his uh, <clears throat> on his mind. This is before cell phones, by the way. So anyway, <clears throat> the dent happened to be pretty much perfect with the with the tail of the car. So there was it 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 broke like one tail light, but but it wasn't that that bad. And the dent actually, if you didn't look too hard, it looked like it was part of the design of the car. So I never got that fixed. So, uh, like a year later, I was to the point where I'm living in uh, Hermosa Beach, and to to run the car, I have to go down every day with a gallon of water and fill the uh, radiator with it, and that would get me through the day, you know, before the leak in the radiator, which I never fixed, <clears throat> would... Um, you know, would, would get the car down and start overheating. This is when I met Halbert and I started working down there. And the first time I had to take Halbert somewhere in my car, we go down to the parking garage and he gets in, he goes, he looks at me, he goes, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> he goes, what is this piece of shit? I said, I said, shush, this is my car. This, this is the car that has taken me all over, you know, the West coast. And it was my friend when no one else would be my friend. And he just laughed and, you know, he, he understood, but it was like, you know, he was appalled. We had to park a block away from the client we were going to visit. So they would see us getting out of this, this POS. So, so, so anyway, so, you know, the, 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 the at all points of my life during that very very important period of my life <clears throat> i was um you know that car was there that, that car and despite the abuse that car took despite all this it never broke down on me and <clears throat> one day i decided to buy another car and and i got it and i had a guy come by to pick up this car you know and i was out there kind of crying a little bit saying goodbye to it and he says does it start i said it should start and i went and i tried to start it wouldn't start hmm. i thought she truly died. She died of a broken heart because Johnny was sending her <laughs> off. But you know, I, I think fondly of her. We had a great time. And, uh, you know, the car was a part of me. Mm -hmm. And it was it was like people saw that it was it was gold colored. It, I don't know why. It was from the factory gold. When people saw me coming, they knew it was me from down the street because they'd see the car. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't have a trail, you know, a plume of smoke coming out, but I might as well have, <laughs> you know, it announced me. And, you know, I stayed in there and I, I went camping in it and it was just it was everything to me it was everything that a car was supposed to be no other car has come close to that yeah Matt, i noticed you have a there was a bumper sticker on the back i gotta ask what the sticker was you remember it wasn't mine and i do not remember yeah i see that um i actually don't know i uh it looks like it's on the whatever that what is that like the rubber bumper where you yeah. probably couldn't even take it off if you wanted, right? You yeah. just yeah. leave. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the guy. The guy fixed bumper sticker from the previous owner. Yeah, you know, I was going to put like Grateful Dead stickers and stuff on. Then I thought, you know, like like you and your car, you know, it's it's <clears throat> why invite trouble? You know, right. I, I I don't think cop, I didn't get pulled over a lot in that car. Cops couldn't. First of all, I remember passing a cop on, on, on a road. I was going 80, you know, on a, I don't know, 40 mile an hour road. I just passed him. I remember the cop, I got a glimpse of his face and it was like, he was thinking, no way, that car can't go that fast. <laughs> and I just, in my mind, he's like smacking his, uh, you know, his uh, radar gun. You know, come on, that can't be right. <laughs> you know, didn't pull me over. You know, I was just, I, I got away with murder in that car because it just didn't look like the little beast it was. Yeah. And the five speed was... You know, I've I've actually got my main car is now a Ford uh, Escape. You know, it's the dog car. It's it's a you know car that's you know just won't quit. I've had it for twelve years, I think, and I've got like eighty thousand miles on it. But the car I like is the little Mazda Miata we have, which we take out in the summer, put the top down, run around. It's a five speed, mm. and you know, as much as automatics are really convenient or anything, if you've ever grown up with a with a stick. It, it just, you know, it just becomes part of you. It's just so much fun to drive a car with a stick. And I don't hear anybody talking about how fun it is to drive their automatics. I mean, they get in the car and maybe they think about the luxury and the comfort and all of that. Screw that, man. For me, a car was a was was, you know, rocketing off into another adventure. You know, it was like it was a way to get to somewhere that I wanted to get to because something was going to happen and having a five speed to get there just made it all just so much more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Great story. And you know what I love? A great example of, you know, you took the car and you, you told the story of your life through the, the, the dents in the crack. Yeah. I mean, you could just go down to everybody described the crack in the dashboard, how it happened, you know, and you'd have a great thread of replies. <clears> just in that. True. 
You know, who, who's that uh, comedian from Saturday Night Live who has a scar on her face? She's very attractive. Oh, Tina Fey. Tina Fey, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Tina Fey is very attractive woman, but she has a scar on her face, and she refuses to talk about it. But she's let off that it was a childhood incident, I think, with her brother or something. Yeah. You know, I, I can imagine what happened, but that was probably an iconic moment for her. And she may approach it if she ever does an autobiography, for example. Right. Just what is the story of that? Because I'm sure she's forgiven him and probably has, you know, she seems like the kind of person who has a very close relationship with the family. I have no idea, but it's like, how did that affect things? You know, how, how did that happen? Mm, so it's a good point. You know, so, Cause you wear it every day. It's on, yeah. you know, right there on your chin. You can't not see it. And it's, right. it is interesting that she doesn't talk about it because, uh, you would, a comedian usually nothing's off limits. Right. Yeah. And so, it well, it may, may not be injury. off limits to her. It's just something just, she doesn't want to talk. I don't know. I guess, you know, even, even the nastiest guy, who did I see? On a, on a special, the, oh, God, he's funny. Burr? Oh, Bill the, Burr, yeah. Yeah, God, he's funny. Yeah, yeah. And 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 he makes full use of his rather unique-looking face and, you know, yeah. shaved head. And, you know, it's like you take what you got and you work with it. You know, this shot that I think we're going to have of me and Mark uh, Landstrom, one of the Gonk members. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you said I posted it for some reason in the Gonk thing. And you said, yeah, you, you look like Miami Vice, you know, where's, or, or was it Starsky and Hutch? I don't know, something oh, like that. Starsky and Hutch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's just funny. I mean, we weren't doing it on purpose. We just looked that way, you know. It's just, and I remember everything about that trip. I, I was up visiting him in, in Central California coast, and it was just, I, I don't know, it's just, uh, you know, those jackets we're wearing. I, yeah. I could tell you stories starting off with the jacket. Right. I'm sure Mark, is, Mark, I think, still has that, that leather jacket. And uh, you know, or the glasses we're wearing, you know, yeah. if you can't see very well, these are oversized um, 80s glasses, which made us all look like Larry King in a bad interview, you know, but we all wore them. There's no way around it. And if you have glasses, you are at the mercy of styles, you know, so. Yeah. And just the way you're standing, it's it's. Uh, it's clear that you guys are really happy to see each other. I mean, you're not hugging. There's no arms, but it's like you guys are ready for adventure. Like something cool happened that night, you know. You know, that, that's an interesting point. It's, it's, it's not relevant here, but yeah, there, you know, if, if, if you went through all of the photos that you had and took out all of the paired photos of you and someone else, you'd have, you'd have a story right mm-hmm. there. You know, oh, it's yeah. like, what is, what is the relationship and why are you guys doing that? Why were you, you doing, you know, what, you know, what, what can you tell from the picture? What is the objective, na- objective nature of the picture? And what is the subjective nature of the picture? Things like that. Right. I, I like photos. And if I do this oral history of my family <clears throat> or my own autobiography, I'm going to put a lot of photos. These photos will make it in there because, you know, you can do eBooks now and you can just stuff them with photos. That's right. And yeah. it changes, it changes the dynamic. So it's, you know, copy with photos with, uh, you know, I read uh, Warren uh, Zevon's <clears throat> uh, biography recently, and he had the standard in the middle of the book. There were like 20 photos or so, yeah. not related to copy. There was captions and stuff, and you kind of got a feeling. But I would have liked to have seen them while I was reading it. Me you know? too. That always bothered me. Why, why do they do that? They stick them all in the middle. It must be a, a, a convenient thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's expensive to do that. But it was an, I read it as an e-book, so they really didn't need to do it. Yeah. Anyway, okay, we're getting off subject. So anyway, that, was, that was fun. I mean, you and I have a good time whenever we meet, and we we don't need to be drinking at a bar. In fact, we didn't share a drink together at all in the last time we saw each other, except at dinner with your family. Yeah, family I, kept, I, kept, I kept threatening to give your, your daughter a sip of my wine <laughs> just to see your wife's uh, eyes bulge. But that was that was hilarious. And we still, you know, we, we censored our stories, you know, we, but it was still fun. It was still great, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I tell you, that's full circle or, you know, or, or, or progression on a friendship. It, it's such a cool moment for me to sit be able to do sit with you and in, in Deutsch and in, in, in Garf and have my family there too. I always sort of dreamed about that moment, you know, and have it all feel so natural. It's uh it's Yeah, amazing. it was fun. It was yeah. a fun time. Really cool. Uh, and I'll also share uh, a photo of me with the Delta. It's the only one I could find. Um, skinny and shirtless and long hair. I, I look like I just came off the Indian reservation. Except for that. I don't know what's going on. But, uh, <laughs> oh, man, great stuff. Well, do, do, do you remember, just to finish up, do you remember that photo being taken? Do you remember the I circumstances? Do. I, I, I do, because the, the role I found it in uh, is uh, – I, the other comic is in it and I, I can't remember his name but he was a really unique character funny guy uh and i remember specifically talking to him 
about I was uh, about to go on a road trip with a 19-year-old girl. I was probably 23 or 4 at the time. And here wow. her parents were trusting me. To, uh, we were going, <laughs> dude, we were going to like uh, Rapid City, North Dakota, like way out. And uh, yeah. she was from North Carolina. And uh, I remember specifically talking to this guy. I was going to go meet her parents. And uh, I, 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 her dad worked for a faucet company. Like I don't know which one. but And I'm thinking, geez, what am I going to talk to this guy about? We'll have nothing in common. And I said to the guy, I go, well, I have noticed that the uh, hot water is usually on the left. Maybe there's something there. And the, and the, and the guy goes, the hot's always on the left, dickhead. What are you going to talk about next? Because <laughs> that's going to be a short conversation, you knucklehead. <laughs> I just Jeez. always remember that moment. Like, this is me grasping for some common thread. You know, that's all I got is that. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. Well, you, you've both seen his daughter naked. <laughs> You're right. That was just... Damn it. Why didn't I think of that? That would have been perfect icebreaker. So was this comic the guy that took the photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's that's the other side of the story is who took the photo. Oh, now, right, this yeah. one of me and Mark, I actually had a camera, which was new at the time. This is probably 1980, <clears throat> 81, had a uh, self-timer. So I, don't, I, I think it was sitting on a mailbox. Uh, and uh, we took took the shot. So, you know, it was just, it's uh, it took that person out of it. But somebody had take the shot of me. That's my dad's front yard that's uh, the place i grew up that's the scene i saw every day when i went out went to high school although it was a 62 chevy impala instead of my my beat up uh uh celica and as the driveway's wet it may have just rained or maybe you just washed the car uh, no that's central california very rainy it was probably winter obviously uh, for california so yeah no i never washed that car i didn't <laughs> wash that car for 10 years i owned it so yeah that was the other way that that used to be my respite i used to love to spend the whole day detailing my car in fact it's funny just yesterday i paid to have my car detailed and i i felt guilty all day about it <laughs> and my only justification is it's a lease I'm like, why would you wax a lease? You know, <laughs> I spent a day on a lease. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, that's a part of me. That's another thing is that, you know, something that I want to give to my son. You know, he's always, he wants to wash the cars to earn a couple bucks. And I'm thinking, I'm going to spend uh -huh. a day like really teaching him how to detail a car, you know? <clears throat> yeah, because it could be a career move for him later yeah, that's on. Right. Everything a, else fails. Because <laughs> he's a guitarist. So <laughs> I, de <laughs> I definitely, he's going to need that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, that's probably a probably a good place to wind up. But but I think people can see the you know the, all this started from just talking about cars, you know, and it it's, it, it it gets your juices going. It starts the story, <clears throat> the story mill grinding inside of your head. And again, it's not just a picture of you in front of your car. It's who took the picture, where are you, what did that car mean to you, what happened, where were you going, <clears throat> you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. So great, great tip, great tip. So. Uh, thanks, John. Another great one. Again, go read all of John Carlton's uh, legacy-inspiring uh, rants over at john-carlton.com. You can come get more of my uh, uh, dribble at copychief.com, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.